This is IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. This podcast is powered by the Indiana Municipal Power Agency. Since 1983, IMPA has provided 61 municipal utilities in Indiana and Ohio with low-cost, reliable, and environmentally responsible power. I'm Lee Llewellyn. Today I'm talking with Sherm Johnson. Sherm is the Executive Director of the Offender Employment Development Program with the Indiana Department of Correction. Sherm, thanks for taking time to be with me today. Well, Lee, thank you for, ha- for having us on and, and the opportunity to, uh, to talk about this programming. So just about any economic developer or a local elected official, business manager in Indiana will tell you that we are in the midst of a workforce crisis. Indiana literally does not have enough workers to fill the jobs we currently have in the state. And as IEDA members may know, we've been involved with the lieutenant governor on a national effort to attract veterans to the state, but that program is going to take some time uh, to get it ramped up, and we're still in the midst of this crisis of looking for workers. So Sherm is here today because he's been engaged in deploying and mobilizing what we've called, at least between us, a, a hidden workforce. The program that he's here to talk about has been operating for some time, so he has some results to talk about and some compelling information to share. So first, Sherm, begin by telling us what is this hidden workforce and where are they? Well, the hidden workforce league consists of actually about the 27,000 incarcerated individuals in the state of Indiana right now. Uh, Last year in 2018, we released about 11,000 individuals back to Indiana counties. And the top five counties that we released people to were, were Marion, Allen, Madison, Vandenberg, and Elkhart. And the, the purpose of what we're doing in this training is to prepare people for reentry into society in high wage jobs that are, that are in demand. What we're doing is we're preparing them with, with certification training so they can be prepared for these jobs when they, when they go back. The ultimate goal is to, is to get them on a career pathway but also to reduce the recidivism rate in the state. Right now we're at about 33.4%, which is very low for, for, from, for, from a historical perspective, but we need to get that lower uh, for a number of reasons. But we're really focusing in on, on, on getting these individuals good paying jobs based upon the training they, they received so they can help Indiana's economy to grow, to fill those jobs with, with businesses that are, are, are really struggling with their workforce needs at this point in time. So when you and I first talked about this, uh, one of the first questions that I ask you then and that I would repeat now is, uh, isn't it difficult to convince employers to hire uh, someone who is an ex-offender? Well, it really depends on the, on the company, Lee. Um, when, we, when we talk to potential employers, we really look at it as we're giving them an opportunity, an opportunity to take a look at some trained workers that have skills, that have demonstrable skills. Uh, it's not about selling people on anything because that involves, you know, when I think of selling, it's I'm twisting somebody's arm to buy something that they don't want to do. Uh, this is really more about education, helping employers who really are struggling, as you said, to find good workers, helping them to, to understand some of the benefits that may come with, with hiring new uh, or newly released offenders. So what we're finding is because of the unemployment rate, a number of, of companies, especially smaller and medium-sized companies, are becoming far more understanding and interested in that possibility. 
big companies, they've got lawyers and layers of lawyers that often tell us we can't, they can't do that. But when you, when you talk to smaller and medium-sized companies, those companies are in desperate need of individuals, and they're, they're saying, how can we solve some of our issues? And they're far more open to the message that we're talking about here today, um, and they're being very, very receptive to it based upon the education. Does that, does that help, though, that, that because they're a smaller company, that they may be more directly engaged with some of those individuals as they're coming in? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they can, look, they can actually sit down with that individual, look at them, hear their story, and make a decision, do I believe what they're saying or not? And we've, we've had some very, very positive success stories of, with our individuals coming out with training and getting good jobs with these smaller companies. And it's simply that. The smaller companies can take the time, and they want to make it work. They're willing to make the effort to make it work. Um, we won't go into all the details of some of the baggage that goes with some of our offenders, because out of that 27,000 that we house, the 11,000 that we release, not everyone in that grouping wants to be a great employee. We understand that. But those that do, those that want to make a change, sometimes do have some subtle issues. And it's the small companies, the medium-sized companies, that are willing to, to make the investment in that individual um, in terms of their time and their effort to help that individual succeed, and they're reaping the results. So, so you talked about that it's not, for, it's not for everyone coming out of the system. So are there qualities, characteristics of individuals as they're transitioning out that you think uh, that, that you can identify uh, that, that helps you understand who's going to be sort of the best candidate to make that transition? I think so. Um, the programs that we're doing, especially in CNC uh, operations and, and welding, those individuals are selected for those programs based upon the, the warden of the facility and, and their team to identify those individuals. Each one has to have at least a high school diploma or an HSE high school equivalency. And they have to show through their behavior within our system, which is the biggest determinant of their success outside, how they behave within, within the DOC. And we monitor that very closely. People that have good behavior records, have shown a willingness to change, and not just a transactional willingness to change, but we can see their willingness to change based upon their behavior within the system. And if they've behaved well, have an HSE or a high school diploma, they can, they can get themselves eligible for uh, some of these programs we're gonna talk about. Okay, well, so you, you have referenced a couple of things here, and I think it's important to understand uh, that, that the, the, the individuals that you're talking about aren't just walking out of the prison system and moving directly to a job. You've talked about programs, you've talked about training, so let's dig a little bit more deeply into, you know, how is the program structured and what kinds of training uh, are, are these individuals being exposed to and, and when they're working it, walking into the marketplace, what do they have? What kind of skills might they sure. have? So that's a lot of questions all in one. But you know, let's let's so give an overview of the program and then talk about some of the different training. Well, the, the overview of the program is, as I said earlier, is is to get individuals higher paying or better paying better skills so they can get a higher paying job. That's that's it in a nutshell. That's what Governor Holcomb started here in oh late 2017. Um, he he said we've got to do something with the incarcerated individuals, we've got to do something to prepare them better for the 21st century workforce, which is one of his pillars. 
So in late 2017, we began a pilot program for, for welding at our women's facility in, in Madison. And we transport women there to Ivy Tech in Madison to use Ivy Tech equipment and instruction, instructional capability. We also now do that with CNC, and I'll, I'll talk about the location soon. But that's how it all started. We had a very successful program there. And then beginning in 2018, we've grown that across our system. So just uh, don't lose your place, but what constituted success when you said you had a very successful program? What was, how, what did you define success in that program? Well, we had, in the, in the welding program, we had 12 individuals, and all 12 ladies who'd never welded before earned the American Welding Society, AWS, D1.1 Structural Steel Certification, which is really a difficult certification to earn, especially coming out of the box like that. They all earned their, at least their, what's called their 1G certification, which makes them far more marketable. And success there was defined simply by the level of success in earning the certification. Across our system, um, we're running right, and this year we're running at 100% success across the system. So it's proven that the individuals we've got are the right people in those classes. They have the aptitude and the talent and the commitment to earn these certifications. And it's, it's proved itself uh, well so far. Okay. So that was so that was the the pilot, and then uh, so where has it gone from there? From there, we've we've expanded. Right now, we do AWS welding in four facilities, excuse me, five facilities on the, on the outside, and by that I mean we take what are called level one out minimum security offenders, transport them to Ivy Tech for welding. We also have are up to four programs now internally which are programs we run inside with our training partner internally, which is Oakland City University. In terms of uh, CNC operations, we offer the NIMS, National Institute for Metalworking Skills, uh, certification in mill and lathe, and we offer that at uh, five locations uh, of Ivy Tech and one location for Vincennes University. So again, it's transporting people there. We do not do that on an internal basis because to establish those programs, it's very expensive. But the beauty of both the CNC and, and the welding, they're very much hands-on. Our folks don't like a lot of lecture. I mean, they truly don't. But if you get them in a hands-on environment, these folks are, are taken to it like you wouldn't believe. And the, the really nice thing is when we get feedback from instructors at Ivy Tech and VU saying our students are far more committed to doing well than their regular students that they get off the street. So we're doing those two certifications. We've also expanded or actually started a program in information technology and computer coding through what's called the last mile. And we've got now four, uh, four facilities doing that. Our first class will graduate, I believe, later in July. So we're very excited about that. We offer uh, building construction carpentry for what's called the NCCER certification. That's offered at a number of facilities. We offer that at six facilities across the state. We do Manufacturing Skills Standards Council, Certified Logistics Associate, and Certified Logistics Technician, and we offer that at eight sites across the state. And we offer right now the Manufacturing Skills Standards Council, CPT. I'm giving you all kinds of letters here. Well, <laughs> it's, it's impossible not to, but and, but... and we do that at one location. We're going to be expanding that likely in 2019 across our system. We also do non-certification training. We've used... Purdue MEP for Skills for Success, 
and also we're partnering for a pilot program at Branchville for their uh, catapult program, which came out of the ramp program, which was very successful at, uh, at Subaru in, in Lafayette. So it sounds as though most of the training that you're doing, though, I think correlates fairly, very highly with what I know as being sort of skills in demand. Um, you know, I mean, I've heard a number of years ago, I was doing a study for uh, Purdue and really sort of documenting, you know, how pervasive motorsports is in Indiana. And one of the things that I heard as I was visiting with many of the motorsports teams and certainly a lot of suppliers is they couldn't find welders fast enough. Um, and so CNC is obviously also something else we've heard about. So, I mean, I assume that that's not an accident, that those are the kinds of things that you're targeting. Exactly. Those, if, if you look at the numbers, we dealt with a lot of data from EMSI. Took a look at that and said, where are the fastest growing jobs in, in the state? And we looked at DWD data as well. And our, our folks aren't necessarily going to work well in healthcare. They're not going to work well in finance. But in manufacturing, logistics, construction, those are s industries that will give our people a second chance. They're far more forgiving in terms of their hiring practices. Plus, th they're better paying jobs. Individuals can come into these jobs, get on a career pathway, and go pretty much wherever they want to go, wherever their interests take them. But it gets them a start. And coming out of prison, it's so critical to get a higher paying job. It's one thing to get a $9 an hour job at Taco Bell. Most people don't want to do that. Our folks definitely don't want to do that. If they have to, they will. But we want to give them a sense of pride in what they're doing and give them some real upside. And we're seeing that in a lot of our success stories. People are, are making $22, $24, $26 an hour um, a year out of prison. And without this training, those individuals would have never had those opportunities. So Nor would those companies have hired really good people. But it seems to me that also, is, so are, is there also alongside this, so that's the, those are the so-called hard skills. So are there, are there things, though, that they're being exposed to that is about sort of the so-called soft skills in terms of, you know, expectations that you have when you get on the job? So it's not just, yes, I'm CNC, but it's but that other stuff? Yes, yes. One of the things we're doing is, is working with our division called the Hoosier Initiative for Reentry, Hire. And a lot of folks have heard about it, but nobody knows exactly what it does. Um, they became en enrolled into the Department of Correction early in, in 20, 2019 from DWD, Department of Workforce Development. And what we've done there is assigned individuals to each of our facilities, hire individuals. And they'll take individuals, the offenders that have come out of these courses that we're talking about, put them immediately into what's called the Hire Academy. And in the Hire Academy, they learn financial literacy, budgeting, um, they get employability skills, work, work, workplace conflict resolution, the types of things you're, you're talking about, which are so important in going on the job. Because as, as you said, it's one thing to know you how to operate a CNC, but it's another thing to operate a CNC and to get along well with your coworkers, how to be a part of a team, that sort of thing. All those types of skills are, are part of the higher academy. And the higher academy then, or higher I should say, is really the, the link to, to placing these individuals across the state with companies that are interested. But you know, as you were talking about that, I was, because when I asked the question, I was asking about just, you know, 
showing up on time and getting along with your coworkers, but you mentioned budgeting and other kinds of life skills, which I hadn't even thought about, because I, it has to be a fairly radical uh, cultural transition coming from a completely enclosed environment to suddenly now being, you know, in a place where, where you're, I mean, where you're really res responsible for yourself. And I hadn't really even thought about some of those things like budgeting and some of those, you know, time management, personal management kinds of things. Uh, so I've been thinking about that. Yeah, those are so important because, as you said, when an individual is incarcerated, the department makes most of their decisions for them each and every day. We tell them what time to get up, what time to eat, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Once they're released, they're on their own. And if they don't have the skills to, to manage their money, which probably a lot of them didn't before they came to us, if we want them to succeed, we've got to help them acquire those skills. Whether they use them or not, to, you know, we hope they do use them. But the key is, is giving them that opportunity. Um, you know, if they haven't had a paycheck in a long time and suddenly they're making $20 an hour, they're working 40 hours a week or more, Suddenly they've got a lot of money, and it looks great, but they also have to, you know, pay rent, buy food, all kinds of things. And the higher academy helps them understand how to, to do what they need to do to be successful once they're released. So I th but I think that's very thoughtful, that it is recognizing. It's, it's really treating, I think, those transitioning individuals as a customer almost and thinking about what that experience is going to be like. On the side of the employer, do we have the same sort of the same cultural transition issues? Do, do employers need any kind of um, orientation to, to a different set of expectations? That's also what we do. We help un, uh, employers understand, as, as we've talked about here, what, what the offender, what their mindset is coming out. Uh, but we also try to get the offender connected to the employer prior to releasing. Um, we will allow opportunities for telephone interviews or on-site visits by employers to get them connected so they can begin to build that relationship. Um, but we also talk about asking employers, what, what is it you're looking for? What types of skills? What convictions won't you hire? That's always a key question. Most people say they won't hire sex offenders and violence, and that's understood. There are people who have violent pasts, and this is what our professional people will tell you, who have been with the department 25, 35, 45 years, some of those folks who have had a violent past that was a one-time situation, they spent probably quite a bit of time with the DOC. That, the chance of that happening again is very small. And the recidivism rate we have for those individuals is actually very, very low. Um, but companies always say, well, I, I, I'll just take drug offenders. Sometimes some of the drug offenders are the folks that come bouncing back to us more often than some of the, some of the folks that have a, a one-time violent past. But we, we orient through hire in our conversations with the employers, help them to understand what to expect from that potential employee coming out. But the key is making sure that there's a good match. And that's been through good conversations between our folks and the company and each understanding the proposition that they're, that they're getting themselves into. Do you have a sense uh, among employers, are there repeat um, hires? In other words, do, do, once an employer has had a good experience, do you hear from them again? Or, I mean, and, and do they develop any kind of an ongoing relationship then with, with your program because of that or just, just as a way of, of 
making sure that they're they're providing the right kind of support for for that that new employee employers that have had success definitely come back um, they, they find it's 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 a it's a great way to hire people they can get more information on that individual than they could about anybody on the street we follow up through hire and, and our, our other efforts through parole and other areas to make sure that that situation is going well um, it's just you know no company wants to be seen as well, at least I won't say no because there are examples of companies that do hire tons of ex-offenders, especially in the culinary area. But the reality is no, one, no company wants to be seen as just hiring all ex-offenders for a number of reasons, and we understand that. So it's very quiet. But, yes, they do call us back. Um, we just had a company who, who hired one, one welder, and they had a great experience there, so I, I just got a note today that they hired another one. It, you know, these are not big numbers, but there's enough small companies mm -hmm. across the state and there's enough openings that steadily companies can have that opportunity. And we've got plenty of people coming out. But I think it, you, you said something, too, that I thought was, was interesting. Be, because of the amount of connection that you have with these individuals, you're able to provide a much broader and much more in-depth sort of background on these individuals than probably just about any other employee that somebody might hire. There's no question about that. We know where <laughs> they've been and what they've done for the last number of years. And as I said, we know their behavior. We know where they've lived. So there's nothing we don't know about them. And that we can share a great deal of that information with potential employers. So I think that's a benefit. That's one benefit that's directly to the employer. Uh, and uh, knowing that information plus they come with, with skills and that certification. But thinking in a bigger picture, as Governor Holcomb proposed this program uh, and sort of challenged the, the formation of this, he was thinking about perhaps a much, yes, about employers, but also a much bigger picture in terms of benefits for Indiana and, and the way I just the society in general benefits from this program. So help us put it in that context about, you know, again, how is Indiana benefiting from, from what you're doing? Well, the number one piece is depending on the side of the fence you look at it. But we're definitely building stronger families and stronger communities. There's no doubt about that. If individuals come back, can get back to their family, restore themselves as an individual within that community, get a good paying job, then they become a better member of that community um, and strengthening the their individual family unit which is, again, depending on who you talk to, that's critical. At the same time, we're also providing a pretty significant pool of talent for Indiana companies in the areas that are really looking for individuals, manufacturing, construction, logistics. We're getting certified, trained people for those companies. So that's, you know, one of the great challenges now in the state of Indiana is not well, is a dearth of talent. I mean, there's talk about recruiting people, veterans, bringing people in from all over the country. How do we do that? We've got a lot of people. This isn't the entire answer, but we have a lot of potential employees here that can do the job in those, in those companies at, at the level we're, we're talking about. And from a, from a pure taxpayer perspective, each individual that doesn't come back to the Department of Correction because they got a job and stayed away from prison it saves the taxpayer $25,000 a year per individual. And we know from, for a fact that individuals that have training 
they get a good paying job, their recidivism rate is probably 10 to 10 to 12, 14 points lower than it is for the population in general. So it's it's it makes good economic sense from a number of perspectives. So are you are you at capacity? Are you uh, employing everybody you have in the pool? Not yet, because they're coming out at different times. Okay. Um, they come out, you know, whenever the, their their sentence is, is called for. But are they, as they're coming out, are you able to connect them directly, or do you have folks who are who who are sort of in a waiting mode? The goal is to get them a job before they leave. Okay. okay? Is that always happening? The answer is no, no, because again, just the the numbers are kind of overwhelming from from our staff side. We've got 14 people doing the hire program around the state. We release, as I said, let's say 11,000 people a year. So that's a little less than a thousand a month. All those individuals do not have training, but it is a big number. So we need companies to step forward and say, yes, we'd be interested in talking to you because we can find them people that they're looking for in most cases. So our purpose here, because you know our audience are the economic development directors in most of the counties, so they themselves are not necessarily the ones who are going to be doing the hiring. Um, uh, but uh, they're, as they're out talking to, um, doing their business retention expansion visits, they're talking to local employers, they're on the front line of hearing about where there are those needs for employees. So how do they how do they connect those local employers to your program, and how can we get that the, that make that connection in a way? Well, I think the key is starting with me. Just contact me. Um, I'm Sherm Johnson. My number is three one seven two three four two nine six zero, and my email address is shjohnson at idoc.in.gov, and that that way we can begin to make that connection. One interesting thing that might be helpful for your individuals is to think about how many people are coming back to their region in, in a given period of time. For example, in northwest Indiana, third, northwest and north central Indiana, in the next 13, well, the months from uh, about June 10th to December 10th of this year, they'll return about 960 individuals to those counties, okay? We've got about a, eight, 986 going to Marion County in that same time and about 262 going into Allen County. If your, your, your members have an interest in finding out more about who those individuals are, start with me and we, we can get them, begin the process of helping them to understand who is coming back. We've had pretty good success with this in Elkhart County to help them know who's coming back from, for example, Westville, which has a lot of individuals that go back to Northwest Indiana. Um, and they were asking how many people in the expert time are coming back to Elkhart? We can provide that information. So, but, but you were giving those numbers, and I'm not clear. Are, are all of those folks trained, or no. are those, ju those are just the number of individuals coming that, back? That's a raw number, and we can okay. break that down for, for um, any, any of your members that would be curious as to how many have certifications or okay. how many have this type of training. We can break it down any way they want to look at it. Um, we can look to see where people are coming from and what sort of training they may have had while, while with de the department. So as you're looking through, and let me clarify that, uh, so as you, as you are looking at the number of people who are going through specific certifications and you're trying to get those folks connected to employment before they exit, 
can you then can you uh, look at those folks and say well they originally came from this area of the state and we assume they're going back into that area of the state so for example if one of our members is from northwest indiana and they're they're saying okay we want to know when the next x number of months or within a period of time how many people from our corner of the state are going to be exiting with these skill sets would you be able to tell them that yes okay yes. so so they would be able to then know that within a period of time there are x number of individuals with say cnc certification who are coming back into my area and so that would give me a sense of here is a talent pool that may be uh, immigrating back into our area of the state and that's a resource then that i can begin thinking about employers that i know who need that precisely so there yes. so so it's not so much about even waiting uh, it as it is that there are some proactive things even that our members could be doing to to connect with you and looking at you know what is that trajectory of talent pool coming back yes as i said before we know everything about these individuals we know when they're going to release the release dates can be a little they can change a little bit but in the macro sense we know exactly well i won't say exactly but we know when they're coming back and where they're going You'll know what what skills they have, their their convictions, what they've been in prison for. We can tell your folks anything they need to know, and they can we can project who's going to what location, and they can have that information to share with with potential companies who may be looking for a couple CNC operators, maybe some welders, maybe they need some some just basic hands-on production folks. We will have those available as well, and can provide that information. Now, I don't think we talked about that before, but I think that's a tremendous resource where, I mean, you can do, I mean, there's at least a capacity there to do some projecting and thinking about sort of when that talent pool may be available exactly. in your area. Exactly. All right. So uh, two things. One, uh, give again your contact information. Uh, do that. So your contact information so people know how to get a hold of you. It's, uh, again, the phone number is area 317 two three four two nine six zero and the email is s h johnson at idoc dot in dot gov and then last i always like to uh, what have i failed to ask or what what have we not talked about that you think is really critical well i think we've covered the bases in terms of the basics there are some other subtle benefits to to hiring some of these individuals for companies there's what's called the workforce opportunity tax credit which if an employer hires somebody who's recently been released, there's a, a federal program that is, that is managed by the Department of Workforce Development that they can receive a, a relatively significant uh, tax credit up to 40% of their, of their wages. There's also a question. One of, the, one of the questions is, if I hire somebody and they steal something, who's a, who's a former criminal, am I covered? The answer is the, that can be done. There's a federal bonding program for that too. Hmm. And the, our higher representatives can provide information or they can get that directly from from the department of workforce development but the bonding program covers up to twenty five thousand for six months so it mitigates any employer's risk from that perspective um, there's just there's a, a tremendous upside to taking a look at these individuals and we just you know we at the department are very gratefully to you and your organization for being willing to to work with work with us which some of your members currently do but we'd like to expand that as well because there there are tremendous opportunities here for for their uh, context within their communities, and we, we thank you for that. 
That's why we were having this conversation. So today I've been talking to Sherm Johnson, who's the Executive Director of the Offender Employment Development Program with the Indiana Department of Correction. Sherm, thank you very much. Thank you, Lee. This has been IEDA In Your Ear, the podcast for members of the Indiana Economic Development Association. This podcast was powered by the Indiana Municipal Power Agency. Since 1983, IMPA has provided 61 municipal utilities in Indiana and Ohio with low-cost, reliable, and environmentally responsible power. Learn more about IMPA by visiting their website at impa.com and be sure to follow them on social media to stay in the know. This podcast is copyrighted 2019 by the Indiana Economic Development Association, which retains all rights to the content.